and then, whew. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just breathe. We can hey. talk about like nerdy things for like two hours instead of politics. Although we're gonna have to acknowledge the politics side. <laughs> it's just it's context. We can start at like right at the top, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, I'm really <laughs> fucking glad we did this on Friday night because we done this yesterday. I like. <laughs> I would have been, it would have been like 90 minutes of me like screaming at the top of my lungs and like swearing. (laughs) Fucking Nevada. Yeah. Like what the fuck Nevada? Uh, Just like just a blue streak that would make like George Carlin fucking blush. You know what I mean? Just screaming. Yeah. Like alternately just wailing uncontrollably and like just expletives, like expletive deleted, expletive deleted. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know, but. All right. Well, we can get started then. Welcome back, listeners, to Dance Robot Dance. This is our 224th episode of our weekly podcast where we discuss all things nerdy and geeky from a decidedly not safe for work point of view. I'm Tim. I'm coming to you from Toronto, Ontario. And with me, I've got Mark coming from St. Catharines. How's it going, guys? Ooh, it's been a fucking stressful week. (laughs) Uh, We are coming to you. We're recording this on Friday evening. Uh, November 6th, so three days after the uh, U.S. election. Has it only been three days? Wait, can we rewind that for a second there? Like, it's it's only been three days? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure I've aged 10 years this week. Like, I feel like I'm 80 now. <laughs> I've been watching Nate Silver, like the big pollster guy yeah. on uh, ABC, and he looks like he's aged fucking ten, like a decade <sighs> oh. since, since, like, Monday. <laughs> like, everything hurts, you he know? looks like a I'm- skeleton. <laughs> I'm fucking tired. Like, <laughs> But right now, things look good. I woke up this morning to find that my former home state of Georgia, Biden had taken a lead there, a small lead, and he's opened that lead up. And Pennsylvania looks like it's going to go for Biden. So right now, all signs point to a Biden presidency. Thank fucking God. But who the hell knows? It's 2020. <laughs> Yeah, I could, uh, if like t- the sequel to 2020 or like the 2020 is a 2021 that's very boring all of a sudden, I'll, yeah. I will take it. Yes. I will take it. I don't yes. think that's going to be the case, but I will take it. So that's just so that, you know, you guys, our listeners know where we're at mentally right now. <laughs> Not anywhere close to here is where I am mentally. So, so we're going to talk to something tonight that is probably almost entirely divorced from politics but first let's get into the nerdy news this week there was uh, a fair bit of stuff that happened the biggest one i think was that uh, this past week we lost sir sean connery uh one of the very first bonds uh no he was the first he's like he's the first bond yeah yeah the first Bond, he was 90 years of age and had had been sick for a while. So definitely put his mark on entertainment for sure. Also said that really sketchy thing about yeah. beating women and doubled down on it multiple times. So, you know, take the good with the bad. That's <laughs> yeah, basically where you kind of have to be with Sean Connery. <laughs> and like, I don't know, he was 90 years old and he died in the Bahamas in his sleep. So like, yeah. It's not a bad way to go. Not a bad run, you know what I mean? And he was James Bond. He's still the James Bond I think of when I, like, yeah. somebody says James Bond to me. Even if, you know, I don't agree with his stance on... <laughs> on women. On women, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. No, definitely, as I said, you know, in fucking the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, in... F- Hunt for Red October, Highlander, Indiana Jones. Don't bring up the movie that made him quit acting, for the love of God. <laughs> Zardoz. Oh, come on. Zardoz is a classic, in that, though. In that mankini. 
So, uh, yeah. yes, we'll definitely look fondly on his contributions to to film and, and, and media and pop culture. Let's see. Mandalorian came back. Uh, we've got t- two episodes. I haven't watched the second one yet. Uh, but oh, so good. <laughs> but the first one was great and brought back, uh, spoiler alert, although it had already been announced like in the nerdy media months ago it brought back uh, boba fett in two forms his armor which timmy the oliphant had been wearing yeah and we got to see the fucking uh, jetpack fire off its missile finally which is like a 30 30 year in the making yeah th- like nerd no, 40, thing. like 40, 40 year 40 yeah. year in the making like you know nerdgasm like people had been edging that for the last for four decades now that finally got that release so yeah, yeah. Uh, I was glad it was Timothy Oliphant who got to do that too, because yeah. I just like Timothy Oliphant a lot. It's yeah. always nice to see Seth Bullock back on TV, even though he's never not on TV anymore. So, yeah. At the very last part of the episode, we got a view of uh, Tamura Morrison, who is the actor that played all of the or played Django Fett and played all the clones in the prequel trilogy, and. Uh, Boba Fett is one of those clones or a derivative of, of those clones or something like that. And so everybody's assuming now that that was Boba Fett um, on Tatooine that was watching Mando as he rode off into the sunset. Yeah. So I'll take it. I don't, I mean, like, sure. Sure. It's a little fan surfacey, but uh, you know, it is. we're going to, we're going down that road. Well, I I'm mean, fine. Now there's people saying like, Oh, it could be Boba Fett. It could be, a different clone like it could be one of the clones like left over from the clone wars or something like that too so yeah yeah who knows okay who knows else johnny depp didn't have a great week yeah but i mean like <laughs> if i was him i'd be like i'm getting out of the the franchise that fucking jk rowling is in charge of yeah the, the i mean like in terms time. of his own personal pr I would take that as a win, probably, just getting out of that situation. Even before that, he lost a libel lawsuit against uh, the UK tabloid uh, The Sun, who had published like a headline calling him a wife beater. And like, if you beat your wife, you're going to get called a wife beater. Yeah. And that's basically what the judge said. Like, yeah, there's sufficient evidence to support that claim or that that using that word to describe you so yeah you know, we we co- we covered this back when the news came out like amber heard wasn't blameless and all this uh either you know it's clear that they were both had some fucking issues and anger issues and violence issues to work out but so what do you think she gets announced as uh, being extricated from the aquaman sequel somehow <laughs> and replaced we'll by her clone blake lively i never like when you see them side by side they yeah. are the same person. So just hire Blake Lively, who's awesome and married to... Is she still with Ryan Reynolds? I'm assuming she yeah. is. Yeah. Because why would you dump Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. No, I, I'd, be, I'd be down with that. I, I think the yeah. only reason... So yeah, as you alluded to earlier, Johnny Depp has now been fired from his role as Grindelwald and the remaining however many Fantastic Beast movies there ended up ends up being, considering the last one did not perform super well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically... I mean, it's it's Warner Brothers fudge, fucking like hedge and bets, right? Like they were looking for a reason. They were looking for a reason to extricate him. They didn't want to do it without justification or without, you know, having something that they could point to and say, OK, look, this happened. So we're getting rid of him. But they could have fucking done it ages ago. Between that and all like the, the stuff that it Ray from, you know, the cyborg yeah. guy, yeah. like that stuff. I think Warner Brothers needs to do a little internal evaluation about how they're running Oh, I'm going to go with everything that they fucking do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
clean house a little bit. But considering that like J.K. Rowling had like personally stood up for Johnny Depp when all of this shit started, I can only imagine she is fucking livid that they've fired him from that role now. There is a lawyer at Warner Brothers right now trying to figure out how to get her the fuck out of there too. I guarantee you. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. there is somebody reading that contract very finely right now to figure out a way to pay her out or just get her the fuck uninvolved from all this shit so they can take this little money making Harry Potter thing that they had and continue to make money with it even though like these movies keep coming out and like I I mean I haven't seen any of these Fantastic Beast movies the first one put me to fucking sleep and I have less and less interest in that universe as the time and JK Rowling turf stories go on so I'm just like we stop talking about this shit now because he's not on the podcast anymore like I don't care anymore (laughs) yeah see something we do care about we're finally get to get to be able to see tenet in the fucking safety of our home on our beautiful home theater setups uh, it's coming to on demand on december 15th they're still making us wait till december though I like know. just fucking do it you cowards like just put it out nobody's going out to see this in theater no. like, anywhere in north america right now no fucking honest no, like our numbers are peaking. The, I mean, God only knows what's going on. I don't even know what the numbers are like in the States. I can only imagine oh, it's astronomical. Terrible. It's they're they're hitting like new day, like new records every day for the total number of cases. I think it's up to like 130,000 new cases a day or some shit like that. Like I was going to congratulate the Americans on like voting in an adult <laughs> finally after four years. But like I still am not going down there. Until you guys get your shit together. Mm. I really wanted to do like like Table Dragon Con next year or something like that. But hey, not fucking likely, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. We talked about Bond earlier and also talking about movies that are we're not going to get to see for a while in theaters. Lashana Lynch is actually going to be the new 007 and has been confirmed now. And of course, the shitty contingent of the internet is not happy with that, but... Uh, Isn't this like an old story? Didn't we do this like a year ago when no, they first announced they, her character? They said she was going to be a double O agent at that point. They didn't say that she was going to be the new 007. Oh no, the number got replaced. Well, and, and, and I don't know, you know, so she basically what has been said is that she stars as the secret agent who inherits the 007 title while Bond is in exile. Well, that, I mean, sure. So sure, they're not just gonna fu- you know. They, it's not like fucking hockey. They don't retire your fucking number when you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you leave MI six. So yeah, like you would assume, and they they make mention of this. I mean, this is obviously like trying to apply the story's logic to crazy fans who think that like all of this is like sacrosanct and all this kind of shit. But like, yeah. it's I just mean, a number they give to him because he's one of like obviously at least a hundred double O agents that are out there, you know, murdering motherfuckers or whatever. It feels like a bit of a hedge to me because it feels like they're trying to backdoor her into her own franchise and just put bond to rest for a while and just be like, here's the new double O seven. She's who you're getting in movies for a while. Kind of thing, yeah, which not, I'd be fine with. They're not going to do that. There's no fucking way. They'll retire James Bond as a character. Yeah, we'll see. They'll have recast him. It'll be Tom Hardy. Or they run it parallel or something, right? Like they have her and then they've got like an, they put a new Bond in as well and they've got them, you know, they build a whole fucking Bond universe. We tried this with Halle Berry in the 90s and it just did not go well either. So like I like these are all things it, it's, it's amazing, like being old now and ha- seeing them try to recycle bad ideas <laughs> and try to make them work again. It's just like, well, it's just not going to work. Like I get it. We all want to tr- like do Bond as 
you know, multicultural or a woman or whatever. That's not the character. Like he's James fucking Bond. So you can go do 007, but nobody's going to go see it because it's not James Bond. Like it's just, I mean, again, it depends, you know, it's, it's something where they can, if fans really resonate with that character, then they say like, fuck, let's throw some money at that and try and make a movie with, with that character. Sure. 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 I just don't, I like, I just don't want people thinking like, we are expecting it to perform on the same level as like an actual James Bond thing. Cause like, it's just not, I mean, Whatever. look, you know, if you want to take the MCU as an example, look at black Panther, like black Panther is one of the most successful MCU movies. And that's like a relatively unknown character. And, and it just fucking resonated with people. Yeah, true. Like, I'm not saying it couldn't resonate. I'm just saying like extricating the James Bond out of your James Bond <laughs> franchise does not solve the James Bond problem. <laughs> Fair. It just replaces the problem. You know what I mean? So. Fair. And he's still a massively popular character. People were freaking. <laughs> Did anybody mention anything else first when Sean Connery died? What was the first thing everybody mentioned? Bond. James yeah. Bond. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, know. <laughs> well, moving on to other franchises where a non-white version of a character took over. Spider-Man Miles Morales uh, game is starting to get reviews and they look pretty good. Yeah, no, everything looks great on it. And there's like the tech reviews have been good and the actual gameplay reviews have been good. So I am just got to wait till I can find a PS5 to buy. Yeah. What else? This is relevant to me in particular because the like last Halloween like franchise that I rewatched, the last horror franchise I, re- I rewatched uh, in my like binge watch of all of October uh, was the Hellraiser movies. And we told people a little while ago that there was an HBO Hellraiser show coming. And this week we found that Clyde Barker is like on board with it as well, which that makes me feel a lot more confident about that. Well, I look forward to seeing what kind of strange erotic stuff he draws into this series now. <laughs> We have such sights to show you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> also, in the horror side of things, uh, Jordan Peele has picked another like classic horror movie to remake as, you know, he's producing that Candyman remake uh, or produced that. Oh, yeah, hasn't come out yet. Another one of those ones that was fucking delayed. Uh, but he is apparently going to uh, produce producer direct. Jordan Peele will be involved. I producing it looks like a remake of Wes Craven's uh, "The People Under the Stairs," which is a great like standalone horror movie that you should definitely t- uh, watch if you haven't seen it already. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I mean, cool. cool. It just it fits so well into like his kind of like yeah suburban horror like you know he'll probably put a a, a black spin on it absolutely. Um, yeah, but that totally fucking works with you know with 20 with like current sentiments for sure so yeah you know with yeah. what he with what he did with us and get out and everything so mark you're gonna have to help me with this one because it's supernatural news people are not happy that their ship finally sailed oh yeah yeah i saw castiel told dean he loved him in the, this week's episode and uh so people are upset yeah that's what everybody wanted. I mean, I don't, whatever, man. Like, this shows, it shows 10 years past its fucking best before date. Like, the fact that it's still on the air is a miracle. So, like, <laughs> apparently people are just basically calling it like gay bait, like that it was just done gratuitously. And I saw, I saw the io9 article was like, this is bait. And I was like, well, all right. If that's how we're going with this, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's got a hot take. I'm fine with everybody's hot take. I'd. <sighs> <laughs> 
going back to horror for a minute, well, I guess also a supernatural series. Castle Rock, the Stephen King anthology series, is uh, not getting a third season. You've been watching that, haven't you? Watched the first season because uh, Mark Bernard was writing it. Um, I was yeah, not, not no, didn't didn't get much past the first season. Yeah. I know they had a second season at some point, but not really super interested. Like the concept is interesting, like the the Stephen King kind of shared universe, but like. Mm-hmm. They went at it at a real, like from a real sideways angle. And it's just like, all right. Like, yeah. It's one of those shows that like might catch my interest if there wasn't other stuff. You know, if we, if this show came out in like 2000 or 2000 and even like 2005, when there wasn't yeah. near as much content for people like us as there is now. Oh yeah. Then, then I probably would have watched it. But you know, right now there's just so much content that is much more interesting to me than this. So. Yeah, I mean, like, Star Trek and Star Wars are on at the same time right now. I don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Let's see. Dave Bautista is going to be in a sci-fi movie called Universe's Most Wanted. That is, you know, it's sort of own thing. It's not part of any, like, other property or anything like that. But, I mean, it sounds like basically Dave Bautista fucking hunting dangerous aliens. And that sounds like fun. I was kind of curious as to like when I first read it, I was like, why is this not just a Drax movie? Like, why not just make a Drax movie? Like, if he's going to go be a bounty hunter, like him and Rocket can go and like be a. I just do that. But like, okay, cool. I'll watch Dave Batista be an action star if that's what he wants to do. Yeah. And the, this is Brad Payton that's doing this movie. He's the guy that did Rampage and San Andreas. So, like, if you oh, like. If, yeah, if you like action movies that all-star wrestlers then yeah if you like (laughs) schlock then you are uh, like (laughs) then line up yeah man i'll be there opening day you know what i mean i love me some good schlock yeah so and the last thing that i had was that as part of the dc future state event they're going to introduce a non-binary flash which is cool and i'm happy about that named kid quick and it seems to be a lot of these future state characters are either like gender swapped or race swapped versions of the you know modern characters and again i'm cool with that it's just make like make i just dare them to make like legit earth one superman not superman batman just like gay as the day is long just go for it (laughs) it's always like a gender swapped or like a future version or like blah 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 blah. like just make bruce wayne gay just stay just gay yeah go for it go for it I I got nothing. I got nothing this week. I don't. (laughs) God, I can only imagine the impotent nerd rage that the. the, And the funny thing is, is it's always people that like don't even fucking read the comics, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're never would never have read this in a million years, regardless. And they see this headline and they're like, "I don't like bad." Basically, so (laughs) like, tell your story. Do what you got to do. You know? yeah, exactly. But that was everything I had. Did I miss anything, Mark? Oh, I mean, there's like we could talk about nothing. There's nothing. What do you what like what else happened this week? What did <laughs> what there's an election. There's an election. Did you see the did you see the election? I oh, did fuck. see I did see the election. Fuck. And all I can say right now is fuck go Georgia. <laughs> I well I you know what I, I saw pictures of like it just makes me so much happy. So much uh, fuck. See, I'm I'm already done. You know, makes me so happy to see that the president has a dog at a nice big full size dog. (laughs) He's got a German, like a handsome German shepherd. I was like, I'm on board. 
Yeah, to like, put a dog back in the warehouse. That's, you have to have a dog in the White House. You yeah. can't fucking trust a motherfucker who doesn't have a dog. Could you imagine what a dog, like Trump's dog, would be like? It's like the barkiest <laughs> little asshole of all time. It would be a chihuahua dog. It'd like shit all over the fucking house. Yeah. And like, just, be, like they'd always forget to feed it and shit. Yeah, absolutely. So like, yeah, yeah I saw Biden had this big, beautiful German Shepherd. I was like, I'm on board. You know what? <laughs> Make that dog the president. Yeah. Make, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know. At least let the dog drag Trump out when he refuses to go. You know what I mean? Just like the dog's fucking pulling on his ankle and shit. They they got dog mayors in a bunch of like fucking hick ass towns in America. So why not a dog in the White House? Sure, why not? <laughs> so, all right. Well, then we can move on to our geek of the week, which is our segment where we discuss the nerdiest things we've done in the past week or so. So, Mark, what is your geek of the week? Uh, I don't know if it's like nerdy or geeky, but like to stave off insanity this week, I I played and beat Doom Eternal and it was fucking awesome. And if you haven't, it's free on Game Pass right now for, for Xbox and like it's everywhere. It's cheap now. It's it, like it's been out for a while, but uh, being free on Game Pass gave me the reason. Well, actually being free on Game Pass and like just impotent Canadian rage at what I was watching on uh, all of the news feeds. <laughs> kind of made me decide that like smashing zombies and cutting them in half with a chainsaw would be a valid way to spend my time. So I, I fucking played doom for like 20 hours this week and I had a lot of fucking fun doing it. If you haven't played any of the more recent dooms, like the 2016 doom or this new doom eternal, they're so pretty. They run so nice. And if you like doom, like they're that running gun arcade yeah. kind of experience that you had back in the day. You don't have to think too much. Just a demon comes at you, you shoot it, or you fucking chainsaw it. I did play all of those first-gen like uh, FPSs. Like, well, I played yeah. fucking Wolfenstein. I played Dune. I played, like, the... I remember, like, having the demo version of Wolfenstein and, like, getting yeah. to the end and being like, what the fuck? Like, because yeah. that, that never happened back then, right? Yeah. You, you know, it was <laughs> where you, like, got to a certain point and you were like, oh, you got to pay for the rest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I did. It was... Doom was how I learned about piracy. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody handed me a, like a stack of diskettes back nice. in the day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's this? They're like, it's Doom. And I was like, okay. Like, you have a computer, right? I'm like, yeah. Put it in there and try it. I was like, all right. So if that's probably the first time I ever figured out how to install a program on my own was like the original Doom, like from I mean, a bunch yeah. of like 1.4 inch or whatever those things were. And some of the earliest 3D games either too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's like the, when you first found out that like computer hardware was complicated and like yeah. you like video cards and stuff like that. You <laughs> have to like understand shit. I was it was baffling back then, but yeah. uh, now it's Lego for grownups. Basically, it's like <laughs> it's so easy to put a computer together. But yeah, uh, yeah back then you had to like no shit. And uh, Doom was the reason why. I, yeah, like discovered all kinds of things: piracy, how to install to a hard drive, DOS <laughs> prompts, all this good stuff. So. Yeah, no, uh, if you haven't tried Doom Eternal and you like have a nostalgia for anything Doom related, go fucking play Doom Eternal because you can just rip and tear your way through the week and it's good times. Nice. Good times. My Geek of the Week I'm doing right now. I bought and learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube, which is something that I have wanted to do since I was a kid. <laughs> and I had like a Rubik's Cube when I was a kid and I can never fucking figure it out because I'm sending you a, a hotline. I need you to call. It's like a suicide prevention hotline. <laughs> so I just it's, want you to 
We can do it on the podcast. Like you can chat with the person on the podcast. It's probably make good <laughs> content. But like, I need you to talk to this person because I think you're going crazy. Well, it's just it's been one of those things that like I, I I'm a big puzzle guy to begin with, and I you know I like said I had a like little like keychain Rubik's cube when I was a kid, and I would just fuck around with it and like never you know seriously like tried to learn how to solve it or whatever. I would just like you know oh I got a side or whatever great, but like you know I actually like went online and like red guides and shit like that and like all it is in the end is like memorizing a few algorithms and some of them are pretty fucking long but like it's just like okay once you get it to this like here's the first step like solve the first layer here's how you solve the second layer here's how you solve the top and like all this shit that you have to do to like solve it without disturbing the shit you've already solved and that kind of thing and so it was kind of interesting and and i've i found it actually like therapeutic it's one of the things i've been doing like while i've been watching election results just to like kind of keep my hands occupied and kind of keep my mind from wandering to terrible places see like i just let my mind wander to a terrible earthscape (laughs) and i played doom it goes to show you like the the way you and i deal with stress in different ways (laughs) where you're like i'm gonna solve puzzles and i'm like i'm gonna fucking cut things with a chainsaw (laughs) but yeah like i said it's been it's been fun i can't like i can get like about 80 percent of the way there now like without having to look up that's what she said final steps yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i teed you right up for that one but like for that last little bit i have to i still have to like look because the last couple of steps like to solve the very top layer is a little more complicated because you've got more that you don't want to fuck up kind of thing so but still i'll get there i'll get there in terms of like having you know being able to do it completely without looking at anything all right so with that uh we can move on to our meat of the episode musical movie meat yeah no we're not doing musicals just like so we are clear (laughs) this is not us this is not mark and tim talking about musicals (laughs) which would be an hour of tim talking to himself while i went and played doom (laughs) I actually had some musicals on my uh, like long list, but I eventually made the decision like, okay, no, like that's an apples to oranges kind of thing. Cause like, yeah, musicals have so, but anyways, what we're talking about tonight is scores, scores to films. So we've talked a lot over the years and I found like lately in particular about how important the score and sound in general can be to a, a film. We reviewed a lot of Batman movies. That's so <laughs> It's come up a couple times, yeah. yeah. That that and uh, I mean, even just in some of the horror movies that we've covered yeah. the last like month or so, like a bad score can fucking wreck a movie so easily, but a good score can like draw you further into that world, help immerse you in it, and also like legit influence your emotional state during you know crucial moments of the movie. So I want to be clear: we're like I said I we're not I'm not doing any like Disney musicals or anything like that. Although one of the, one of mine is a Disney movie. Is it? No, maybe I cut the Disney one off. Anyways, and we're not, this isn't like soundtracks. Well, two of your, at least one of yours is a Disney movie officially now. True. This is true. And as is one of mine, I didn't even think about that until yeah. just now. But, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like not like, I'm not talking soundtracks, you know, like songs that are recorded by an artist and then like put in a movie or like something that where they just like, here's a bunch of songs that we put or took that had already been recorded. And we just, I feel like we've done that episode. Have we not? <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. It with Kirstie. And I feel like we could do, we could go back and do more of those as well. But, um, you know, we're talking about the the musical score itself. We're talking about the music usually instrumental but not always or not 100 percent. that's like written specifically to accompany the movie 
So uh, we're going to basically just go through and, and list off some of our favorite movie scores. But first off, like what what makes a good movie score for you? Oh, God damn it. That's a good question that I <laughs> should have had an answer prepared for that I do not. And I'm not really sure anymore exactly because like, I'm not a listen to a score on its own. I'm very much like a I need like the context of the movie influences my feelings on the score a lot. And so like just listening to it like outside of it, but it happens very rarely. So usually it has to do, it has to like complement the tone of the movie or enhance the tone of the movie. Or like, it has to have a, like a function, like it has to work as a score. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how else to describe it yeah. where it like helps the emotion of the movie come across, helps you stay grounded in a scene, like that kind of stuff. Like the important technical side of the, the score, like why the score is there to kind of guide you along with the story and give you emotional beats and stuff like that. Also, it, it helps if it's not just like generic also, like it, yeah. if it's kind of memorable. different or memorable or like has an odd instrumentation or something like that. And like, that's kind of what you what comes up a, a couple times in mind where it's like, these are not traditional film scores where it's like a, the London, the London, yeah, the London Symphony Orchestra doing this, that, no, and the other some, thing. Some of mine are, some mine are. Some yeah. of them absolutely are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then again, some of them are also like, you know, Trent Reznor beepy booping his way through <laughs> social network. So like... <laughs> That kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I guess generally, like a score really just needs to be a score, and uh, good, excellent, excellent circular definition. Yeah, there it is. It needs to be like <laughs> it needs to be something that like accentuates and uh, yeah, elevates the film, kind of thing. There's there's the word I was there looking for. Elevates. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you in in that. Like, I'm not somebody. There will be some occasions, and that all actually sit down and like listen to a movie score there are very few that i can do that and even mm-hmm. so i usually find myself skipping a lot of the tracks yep oh yeah there there are a couple of soundtracks and a couple of them i'll talk about tonight where i don't really have to do that and that's why they're like some of my favorites but in terms of what makes a good score for me i like iconic memorable themes and having you know a very distinctive sound for sure just a score that is used to strong effect throughout the movie. You know, it's something that does add something to the movie. It's not just kind of there and in the background. <coughs> Marvel movies. Um, yeah, yeah. I was gonna. <laughs> I was. I was just watching the Star Trek reboot movies. Yeah. And I was like, man, these scores are just so bland compared yeah. to even like we're gonna talk about the motion picture. That's one of mine. But like even like the old Star Trek scores yeah. actually had like an identity to them. And that kind of carried through the shows and stuff. Like that's one of the things that carries through the Star Trek franchise. Like that '80s period of the Star Trek franchise is always the scores, right? Like it always kind of has that motion picture sound to it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And then for me, a, a lot of my favorite soundtracks will evoke the scene for me without having it in front of me. Like I can close my eyes and I can be in more immersed in that story. I can see the scene or at least like feel the tone and emotion of that scene without having to be watching that scene, you know, the actual visuals of it. All right. Well then let's just get into it. So we're, we each picked five. I'm, I don't think this is something I want to like fucking bother with rankings on or anything. We're just no, going to no. fucking list them off. Uh, so give me your, your first one. Uh, the first one's easy. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm going to get out in front of the John Williams thing and just be like, because <laughs> I know Tim's going to bring up probably A New Hope, but maybe Empire. I'm not sure which one he's talking about. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Raiders score by John Williams is like, I think it's his best one. And like you, if you, I was writing this out and I'm like, if 
like John Williams is one of those guys that even if we had five people on this episode, they would all probably come up with five different movies that John, John Williams, Williams scored movies, yeah. that like he did. And like you could name a bunch of them, Jaws, Jurassic Superman. Park, Superman, yeah. Schindler's List. I'll even fucking say Star Wars at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like for me, like his best score is the Raiders one. It's the March alone is perfect. Like it's the, his yeah. best March is the Raiders March. I love the Raiders March um, out of all of them. But the Raiders, the Raiders score is also extremely fucking creepy when it needs to be. It's oh, yeah. sweeping and romantic where it needs to be. It's just this like the perfect distillation of like a 30 serial score. Like it's, it's almost melodramatic, but it's perfect because of it. And it like, you can hear bits and pieces from that score and you know exactly where you are in Raiders of the Lost Ark, just from like what's going on in the background, like, or from the score or whatever. So yeah, that's my first pick really, because Raiders is already a perfect movie and this (laughs) soundtrack just makes it more perfect. Like the, the score to it just makes it more perfect. So no, I'm totally with you. I love that Raider score. We yeah. we played it in like concert band in high school. Butchered the fuck out of it. But it's oh, still, I'm sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's fucking hard to play too, right? So yeah. uh, it's not the hardest of Williams stuff, but it's not easy. Like the the little like staccato, like the da 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 Like those are tough to get when you're like just only been playing your instrument for like fucking six you know a year or something like that even kind of thing i know drummers who have been playing for 20 years who can't hit that pattern so like there yeah. you go like it's a you gotta be on time yeah for sure but yeah like when you get into there's definitely like some of the star wars stuff with it is harder to play but yeah no it's fucking iconic as hell that raiders march and like the the villain the well not even the the arc theme i guess the like dun, yeah dun, dun, dun. yeah it's yeah because that's so there's a mix of like the the crate like it's called the crate on the soundtrack and then marion's theme is mixed in there as well yeah. so like it's those two pieces that are like that creepy vibe or late motif that comes back through yeah re- like repeatedly as they show the arc or what the arc is capable of or you know that kind of like the the playing up the horror aspect of indiana jones that's that mm-hmm. like motif that comes back and it even comes back in last crusade when he they point out the ark of the covenant in the thing yeah. they play that like motif right there yeah. just like the dun, 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 and then it cuts right back to the st- like the rest of the crusade score but they have it's so iconic that little bit i love that last crusade score too it's so good the last crusade score is fantastic but it, it doesn't have that like eerie feeling like raiders feels more like a horror movie compared to i mean obviously temple of doom's got its we can just talk about Indiana Jones. Want to just talk about Indiana Jones for the rest of the night? We did that episode. Uh, we can do it again. I'm all on board. <laughs> Fucking love that movie. Uh, that Harrison Ford, he's a handsome man. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'll get mine out of the way then, because my, I, as Mark already alluded to, yes, I'm definitely going to discuss Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, another John Williams score um, earlier than Raiders, 1977, one of his earliest works. Yeah. And I mean, all of those first three movies have excellent scores, but this is the one where Williams introduced those like super iconic themes and motifs that are just instantly recognizable to this date in any format now as like, you know, just that's Star Wars, right? Yeah. Uh, like Williams and Williams here as well does a great job at, at we reweaving and, and reinventing those motifs and, and stringing them together in different ways, depending on what's going on in the scene. Sometimes subtly, but sometimes not, not the often, least. But, yeah. but sometimes not the, yeah, often not the least bit fucking subtle. <laughs> and like Raiders, it's another movie with a pretty traditional orchestrated score. And I was thinking about this and 
Williams or Lucas could have like chosen to go a more like outlandish direction with it, like something like Blade Runner and that Vangelis score, which is on my long list. Yeah, to to match like that, you know the the alien worlds and everything. But my thought is maybe that would have alienated the audience too much because so much of Star Wars is how much you can relate to it. I was yeah, I was gonna say I don't think Star Wars would have the resonance with people that it yeah. does if the score had been like a weird electronic thing yeah i think that's part of the reason why like blade runner doesn't land with people is because like even the score alienates alien, you yeah. Yeah. yeah whereas star wars like because it's not i mean it's star wars blah, blah blah science fiction this that and the other thing star wars is an adventure movie right oh yeah and the score space yeah. opera right and, yeah and exactly so- and the score is exactly what you expect it to be from like a big epic yeah, I guess Robin Hoodie kind of like oh yeah swashbuckling movie, just that it's got laser swords and X wings <laughs> instead of bows and arrows and guys in tights. Yeah, there's more guys in tights in the prequels, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like it's not it, the score isn't subtle by any stretch at all. It's no. it's bombastic, it's over the top at times, but that is exactly what a fucking swashbuckling space opera needs in order to like help you buy in. And I think that that is the, the music is somewhere that, you know, overall creative team of star Wars episode four, probably mostly driven by George Lucas thought like, that's where we, one of the ways that we can keep people grounded and more engaged in the story without like fucking going way off the deep end, like doing some fucking like David Cronenberg's or not David Cronenberg's uh, Dune. David Lynch. David Lynch. David Lynch's Dune kind of thing, you know, where it's just like too alienating and, and weird and everybody's like just lost kind of thing. But yeah, Star Wars, like the horns are so fantastic overall, like in that big fucking opening fanfare. Like I can't think of another movie where I get so excited, like where it triggers that emotion in me just at that opening fanfare because I know what's to come kind of thing. Yeah, I have a Pavlovian response is now the opposite of that when I hear the Star Wars <laughs> theme start, but like that's yeah. you know <laughs> I've been burned a couple of times now, so <laughs> and like but just you know, all of those super iconic themes, the that that main fanfare, the Imperial March, Leia's theme, that that beautiful binary sunset where Luke's looking out over the two suns on Tatooine and the da 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 na 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 just Oh, that shit gives me chills. Um, and then even like the the Cantina band, you can't hear that fucking Cantina band and not instantly think Star Wars. Did they not replace that in one of the special editions at this point? No, not that like original piece. There, there's extended scenes where there's a second Cantina band song because I've got the special edition soundtracks on CD uh, that have those that like second Cantina band song, but it still has the original one in there. Okay, good because yeah. like just awful, 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 <laughs> awful, and like. It, there's there's horror touches in here too, like the music on on Tatooine with the Jawas, where it's like, and, and also with the the Sand People, where it's like almost horror music, and you automatically know you should be concerned for the protagonists. In this case, it's like the droids wandering around, vulnerable on Tatooine in a foreign land, kind of thing. So yeah, that's Star Wars Episode Four is one of my favorite scores of all time. Fair enough. Uh, what's your next one? Um, Transformers the movie. <laughs> I shit you not. I got this reaction. This is what I wanted. <laughs> Fantastic. It's a, it's a good score. It's a good score. Are you including Are you including the touch in that? No, no, no. The score. The actual, okay. I mean, I guess that is part of the score because they play it during the movie. I guess, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. But no, I'm talking about like the Vincent DeCola, like the weird electronic yeah, yeah, yeah. heavy okay. metal stuff that they play, like Battle for Autobot City, this, that, and the other thing. That's I fair. don't generally like 
scores period so i'm not like i'm gonna go listen to them outside of this and we were just talking about this this is one that i will put on though while i'm working because it's super propulsive and like it keeps this excellent beat the entire time and it's fun like i when i draw i don't do the like a lot of artists or like writers or whatever will put on score like music because they want something relaxing tonal or yeah to get yeah. a headspace or something or i'm looking for pace like i want to keep up a specific pace while i'm drawing kind of thing so i like like higher octane stuff right like that's why i listen to my tool and deftones while i'm working a lot of the time but this is just one of those things where like if i'm drawing transformers i'll throw this score on and it keeps me moving through it but it's just like it's a fun score and it's got like really good drum tracks throughout the whole thing they're all synthesized like it's all fake stuff but they're all fun to play which is really weird to say about a score or that it's really fun to play in a standard drum kit but yeah it's just one of these weird it's so part of why I love that movie, I think, now more than anything. Like, there's cues from it that if I hear them separated from the movie, like, if I'm listening to it, I'm, like, immediately back into that spot. And, like, I can almost tell you beat for beat what's fucking happening over top of, them, like, of the thing. And I just find it very inspiring while I'm working on Transformers-y stuff. Because it's just that mood works perfectly for, like, the sound that he creates, where it's, like, that weird electronic plus kind of metal-y sound that he has going on throughout it. Well, it's one of those things where they they took a risk, right? Because like the series didn't have that no. that that type of music. It had a little bit, but not that was kind of like rocky. But it was just reusing the same fucking music over and over again. Yeah. Whereas here they were like, okay, let's do something different that you know kind of sets it apart from the the series. Yeah. yeah, and it's something like I don't know. I, I wish it had influenced more of it afterwards, kind of thing, because it feels like it's just that movie that has that p- specific sound. But yeah. I feel like that specific sound like triggers Transformers for me perfectly. Like it's exactly what Transformers should sound like, like very frenetic and all that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, I knew I'd get like a big laugh out of you <laughs> for saying this one really early in the no, episode. I get it. I get it. I do. I mean, but it's just like I mean, first of all, it is like a super big nostalgia trip for me especially like it's just one of those things that I've, I've been i've heard it growing up my entire life like i had this the score like part of the score and the soundtrack was on vinyl i'm sure then i had it yeah so I, like i know bits and pieces of it very well and i might have seen that movie 400 times like i put it on just to draw now right like when i'm drawing transformers and stuff and i think i just said this and i'm repeating myself because i'm stoned but uh <laughs> yeah i don't know like that's what i put on when i'm drawing transformers is like this score because that's like it just it feels right yeah. kind of thing so that. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it works. Like, you know, if, if you want something to drive you, like, drawing shit that's, like, angular, and yeah, I can see that. Yeah. For sure. All right, my next one is not going to be fucking surprised to anybody. Uh, it is the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the 1999 Howard Shore score uh, that, yeah. You, okay. What, what are you going to say? No, see, this is one of those ones that feels like wallpaper to me. Like, this is, like, in that era. Or there's like some scores that really start to feel like wallpapery, and I I know there's bits and pieces of these scores that are like really good, but I think because they're three four hour long movies, there's just big chunks yeah. of the score that are like not there's nothing going on kind of thing. Well, I mean, so. it, absolutely, and there are like there's uh you know there's different versions of the score that you can buy. Yeah. There, there's like versions that are just like the main themes. And I've, that's what we have. We've got like a, I got Alicia for Christmas a couple of years ago. Now a version that has basically all the main themes. It's like six, six LPs uh, that has all the main themes from all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. But then there's also like these, 
CD sets that are like the full recordings that is like every little bit of interstitial music. But like, I don't think a, a good score has to be, you know, like in your face and memorable the whole time, right? A, like a good score has to know when to restrain itself and, and hold back in order to let the scene itself speak and just like add a little bit of tone or whatever to it. That's fair. And it may also just be that like, I'm not as invested in these movies. So it like, I think it's more that like when I walked out of those movies, I don't remember anything about the score. You know what I mean? Like I can't pick out if I listened, I don't know how you do it, but like if you asked me to like hum a piece of the fucking score from Lord of the Rings, I would be unable to do so. Really? You can do like, you can do like concerning hobbits. Like no, Oh no, that's the Shire theme. They're like, do, 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 no, I'm just confused. No. Or or like even like the the main fucking like fellowship theme the dun 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 dun. To me that and the Avengers theme are basically the same and like they're interchangeable at this point. One came first, Mark. I know. I'm not saying one didn't come first. I'm just saying that like that is the era of wallpaper scores to me, you know what I mean, where it's just like it's there and it's fine. But it's not like the Raiders march where you're like, ooh, I recognize that when I go out of the theater or I'm whistling it as I walk out of the theater or like with Jaws where you're just like, like it's iconic and you pick up and you always remember it. It's just those are those movies where I don't get it. I wonder if it might be a generational thing where like people that grew up like, you know, actual millennials, whereas we're like Xennials kind of thing, or like people that you were Don't like me in with that group, please. <laughs> or the people that were like 90s kids or maybe not 90s kids. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like have more of a resonance with those, or yeah, I guess like even '90s kids, because you know, you think about like Star Wars. Those came out in 2000. Yeah, well, you think about Star Wars or Raiders. Like, those are movies that came out before we were, or before or around when we were born, and those are still ones that we're citing as like some of our favorites, kind of thing. So, those would be movies that that generation would have grown up on, kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there was a score around that era that like really like that I would I, I even put in my list, and there isn't, and I think that's telling maybe that's the problem but i also think like that's why i think of like scores just became very generic in that era and lord of the rings it's not that lord of the rings was like the worst offender or anything it's just it was the first one where i remember watching a big epic movie and being like i don't remember any of the themes from that at all whereas like when you walk out of even like t2 you there's bits and pieces of it that you carry with you like the music out of the theater kind of thing yeah yeah so like i don't know it's just weird well, Sorry, I, I disagree. I look. That's fair. <laughs> I think Howard Shore totally deserved the Oscar he got for the work on his work on the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, all three of the scores are amazing. This actually like ignited a uh, debate in our house, as I'm sure you can imagine, of which one is the best. And oh my god, uh, Alicia thinks it's Two Towers, and she's actually like messaging people. I'm seeing messages pop up in the corner of my screen in a, in a Discord server right now, where she's debating it with other people. We should tell her I think all those scores are fucking boring. And then <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you get an invite to the marathon in that case. Actually, I'm kind of I'm cool with that. That's fine. <laughs> I don't need to watch the Hobbit movies again. You know, like you know, you need to watch. You need to suffer through those if you're. Gonna... <laughs> I'm already watching Star Trek Discovery. What more suffering do I need to do? <laughs> but but again, this is a situation similar to Star Wars, where Fellowship of the Ring or- originates so many of those super iconic themes from these series that I think Fellowship is the best one. Again, it's a traditionally like or traditional like fully orchestrated score, but it's just done in a really beautiful way. And again, like I said, the music takes center stage when it needs to, but it's able to step back and play more of a support role because you don't want a fucking like, well, three hour theatrical, four hour extended cut movie where it's just 
like balls to the wall music the whole fucking time. So it knows when not to get in the way. And I'm always impressed with how well that score brings Tolkien's immersive world to life. Cause anybody that's read the books a number of times knows that music and song were so important in middle earth and in the stories, like the whole creation myth, the, the way that middle earth was created was that it was fucking sung into being by a god and demigods kind of thing so like it would have been so distracting in this case if the scores were like schmaltzy or boring or something like that and yeah i mean there's really great use of like choir and vocal music and i'm always hesitant there because i mean if you have like a score that has choral music and it's in english it's super fucking distracting because you're just listening to the lyrics but here it's not in english they're using a lot of like elvish and dwarven language and like black speech in order to you know make it kind of or just even tie that thematically into the story even in a sort of subconscious kind of way every race has their like own set of instruments like with the hobbits it's like a penny whistle and violins and then like the elves get like soaring like soprano lilting soprano vocals and like the orcs and sauron get like the low brass themes and stuff and there's just so many memorable themes here like i just did like the concerning hobbits and the shire theme and that fellowship theme which is like joked about as being like the running theme because like it's just everybody walking for like two hours to that theme kind of thing so yeah, and like I, I love that. E- even the stuff that is kind of more on the like ominous side of things that that's not like those really iconic themes, like the Mordor stuff is like really ominous and unsettling, and uses like dissonance and like pounding timpanies to really good effect. So, I yeah, Fellowship of the Ring. Cool. <laughs> I wish I agreed more. I just like I just, I just wish I liked those movies as much as you guys did sometimes. <laughs> Uh, we'll get you there no probably not i'm like i'm 40 man i like i don't like anything anymore you know so (laughs) all right what's your next one um speaking of johnny depp it's kind of weird but like i i like doing these weird fucking art movies when we do these like let's do a score thing because this is a really weird one uh so 1995's dead man which is a film by copying all the shit over and it's not here now (laughs) oh sorry jim jarsmuch Jarmusch. Jarmusch. Yeah. Jarmusch was the director of the movie. And it's this really strange, like, I don't even know how to describe it, abstract Western or something like that, that stars Johnny Depp and Gary Farmer. And along, it's got like a laundry list of people in it, like Lance Henriksen, Crispin Glover, Iggy Pop, Billy Bob Thornton, Gabriel Byrne, John Hurt, Alfred Molina. It's totally worth the sit. It's very surreal, but it has this haunting Neil Young score where Neil recorded it, the soundtrack by improvising it like after his first viewing of the movie with basically just him on electric guitar, sometimes some acoustic and a little bit of piano and organ here and there. And he did it all alone in his like recording studio. Like he, he was given a copy of the movie to watch and just like asked to score it. And that's what he did. He just sat there for like a day and like scored the thing kind of improvisationally over top of it. But it's just really weird. And it so captures the feeling of that movie perfectly that like if you took the soundtrack out the movie wouldn't work anymore i think and if you took like the movie out it's just neil young noodling over top of nothing at that point so like they need to be together but it's just it's such a weird mix of 
like Neil Young's scratchiness and weird like flamenco style playing that he's trying to do but not very good at and all this kind of weird stuff happening. <laughs> Isn't that like all of Neil Young's guitar? Kind of, yeah, kind of, but like hey, I mean, man, he makes it work. That's, yeah, it's that's the endearing That's his thing. Like yeah. he makes it work, right? But it's just it's just weird thing and it's just it's so not a traditional <laughs> score at all, right? Like it has nothing to do with like somebody sitting down and composing thought out music to manipulate your emotions or whatever. It's just kind of like a almost like a soundtrack like the Hans Zimmer stuff that uh, he does for like the Nolan movies where it's maybe not really musical, but it's more like tone setting. Right. But he does it with just like the electric guitar, like the scratchiness and the feedback and like the tape hiss and all that kind of stuff. And it, it accentuates the bits and parts of the movie and makes it feel dirty and grimier than it really is. And I don't know. It's just a really weird thing. And I like bringing this kind of stuff up because it's fucked up. (laughs) And it's a little different than what normally we would be talking about. Like John Williams scores all night. And, hey, my uh, like, next one's off, a little offbeat too. So, throwing off some weird stuff every once in a while. But I definitely recommend, like, if you haven't seen Dead Man, take the Johnny Depp equ- out of the equation and just like sit down and get fucking weird with it. Maybe smoke something because it's fucking weird. <laughs> but like, it just listen to the soundtrack while you're watching it because it almost works. Like you can almost like mute Johnny Depp, like or mute like the dialogue and just watch it with the soundscape on. And I think the DVD has an option where you watch it basically the movie muted and just listen to the soundtrack over top of it and it works like a silent movie kind of with just neil young's weird haunting score over top of it so it's just a weird different kind of thing and i've always liked this it's something somebody gave me while i was in art school you know what i mean like watch this weird movie with johnny depp in it this is one of those ones that like i've always been aware of that movie but i've never watched it so i have no frame of reference for it but i remember i think i remember having this uh having dead man as a rental at the convenience store i worked at in high school and I just never took it home for whatever. Cause like I would always like my boss would always let me take movie home with me at the end of a shift kind of thing. Yeah. And that, that was one that for whatever reason, I just never took home with me. Yeah. I think one of my buddies who was in like film school, film school was like, you got to watch this movie and like the, you like Neil Young. So you'll like the score kind of thing. And I was like, okay. And I watched him like, Oh yeah, I do think this movie's fucked up and weird and like very artsy. Obviously like, if you're not into like the art house stuff. Like don't try this shit. Like it's not going <laughs> to work for you. Cause it's fucking weird. But if you are, uh, or you're willing to take a chance on it, or you're just a really big Neil Young fan, go for it. Also, there's like some some of the Crispin Glover stuff in here is like, this is 1995, so we are at peak Crispin Glover crazy. <laughs> weird, yeah. yeah, so it, he, he lets it out a little bit in this, and it's kind of fun to watch. But uh, the score is just like, it's an awesome curiosity piece if you're, you know, looking for something a little different. So Nice. All right, my next one is, uh, again, I'm getting away from, like, the orchestral scores, is Ocean's Eleven. So, the original or, like, the... You no, know, the, the, the 2001 version, the, the Soderbergh okay. version. It, the score was done by David Holmes, uh, who did a number of the Bond movies. So he's, like, an yeah. electronic artist um, who's actually from... He's actually, I'm just finding out right now, from Northern Ireland, from the county that I... That my... Um, former employer was based in uh, which is interesting but i think this is hands down the best soundtrack to a heist movie ever i've got a soft spot for these movies i've said that on the podcast before but like all of the oceans movies i still haven't seen oceans 8 i fucking need to how are you behind on that one and i've seen it i hate these oceans because i moved to a different fucking country in the i mean i guess <laughs> last year but like that movie's been up for like a year i know i know it's been and it's so- got Anne hathaway in it 
It's true. I need to. I will. I, will. I, I think I've got it downloaded. I just have. I mean, I watched it. The Witches last week because I just. <laughs> Anne Hathaway was in it. Yeah, because Anne Hathaway was in it. <laughs> Looks like she was having a fucking blast. That's all I can tell you about that movie. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I like this. David Holmes's score really sets that like slick, sexy, like well-coordinated, you know, heist vibe kind of thing. And especially when he works really well when he incorporates that, like, uh, you remember that Little Less Conversation, like Junkie XL remix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was on the soundtrack for this movie. David Holmes, like, incorporates that beat and that theme into the score in one or two places, which works really well. And I can't say much more about it than that, but there is one other thing that I'm going to kind of break my own rule because it isn't like wasn't written for this own movie but there's a scene in front of the or there's a scene at the end basically like after the heist uh where they've like pulled everything off and they're like sort of you know having their little catharsis moment or whatever they're in front of the bellagio fountains watching the show claire de lune the classical piece is playing at like their sort of and this is like their rendezvous point right so everybody that's had their own things to do has shown up here together and there's no words they're just all watching the fountains and it's one of my favorite uses of like an existing piece of movie in a movie ever because it really captures that whole like feeling of okay we did it we can relax we can like catch our breath we can enjoy our victory and I think that I count it. I count that as part of the score because it's classical and it's not like a pop song. So even though it was like written beforehand, so I think it's a really effective use of of that piece. Fair enough. And I actually I I posted that on my Facebook today and said like this is like every like Democrat in America like right now like all just sitting in front of the Bellagio watching the fountains listening to this music being like. Oh, we did it. Yay. We can relax for a little bit before we have to start like fucking fighting. Uh, yeah, exactly. Fighting court cases and shit. <laughs> so, yes, Ocean's Eleven is a great, great heist movie soundtrack. Cool. So my next one, uh, this is where I bitch out and kind of like do a twofer because like <laughs> I, I have a I have a hard time separating these two scores or just because like they're the same. It's the same guy working with the same guy kind of thing. So the one that I really want to talk about is the Psycho score. But my actual personal preference is the score for Vertigo. And since these movies are so, you know, they're both Hitchcock movies. I'm kind of like just throwing them both in there. <laughs> we can do another one of these. I've got yeah, like but, an, I've got another list of like 15 or so. Yeah, but I don't really want to talk about like like the Beetlejuice score that bad, you know, like <laughs> do more of these. I mean, yeah, we can totally do more of these, but like, I mean, for me personally, like the vertical score is like an excellent score and like it is the perfect like noir score. So it, it's composed by Bernard Herman, who had been a very regular Hitchcock collaborator up to that point. Uh, he had done the music for, he did the music for Vertigo, Psycho, North by Northwest, and Man Who Knew Too Much. But he also is like an iconic guy. He did the score for Citizen Kane, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original Cape Fear, Fahrenheit 451, and Taxi Driver. And it's been a month since we mentioned that movie. So that's a <laughs> bingo card thing, I yeah. think, at this point. I have to just review Taxi Driver at some point. Yeah, we probably should. It's like, oh, wow, this is like a lot like Joker. <laughs> I, like, obviously, Psycho score is like insanely iconic. Like the the screeching violin kind of bit, like yeah. during the kill, is one of those things that like is ingrained in pop culture. Like even the theme during the opening credits is yeah, just like absolutely. The, so good. 
Yeah, then I think that's kind of why people like lean into that is like, that's the score that we should talk about when it comes to Hitchcock. But I think like Vertigo's score is perfect for what it is. It's this moody noir piece that like, it's much more subtle. It's way more about mood setting. It's incidentally, it is another score that I'll put on while I'm working because <laughs> it works really well to get me in like a dark Batman kind of mood because that's exactly what the score evokes is this really kind of dark mindset. I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody's seen Vertigo. It's this little movie. <laughs> that came out a long time ago. You should probably have seen. Actually, I'm surprised nobody's remade that yet at this point. I thought, had it not been remade? I don't know. I just feel like I've never seen anybody even try to do this one. Because, like, how do you do better than Hitchcock and James Stewart at this point? Like, what the fuck's the point? One day we'll have to figure out how to do a Hitchcock episode of the podcast. Because, like, I could talk about them all fucking day. And I know that these movies are old. But, like, I had just rewatched them when we were talking. I think we talked about, like, I had gotten the 4K rips of them. Mm-hmm. And like that was one of the things that kind of I noticed because they were remixed for Atmos. The score is way more pronounced now, oh, or like, like it just sounds way more fuller. Yeah, and I was like, man, the fucking score for Vertigo sounds even better now than it did before. And I fucking loved that score before. So when you gave me this, I was like, the first one. Actually, this was the first movie I thought of. Was like I thought of Psycho, but I was like, nah, Psycho's hackneyed. Everybody <laughs> says ha- Psycho. And the thing with Psycho Vertigo. is. Like the thing with Psycho is, yeah, that theme and those open that opening credit piece is really iconic. But outside of that, it nothing yeah. really strikes me in it. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I don't know, I, I don't remember the Vertigo soundtrack at all. But maybe, maybe it's more consistent. You should really watch Vertigo again and just pay attention to the score because it's fucking perfect the whole way through. Like this guy's obviously somebody who, like Bernard Herrmann, is obviously somebody who, oh yeah, knew his craft very well and like did tons of movies and won Oscars and shit for doing scores and stuff. So like he knew what he was fucking up to. And I think like as much as I like the score for Citizen Kane and the one for Taxi Driver is also quite good. Uh, I, I think this is his best score. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's gonna be fucking screaming at me for that. It's personal opinion, but like you know. <laughs> Yeah, so Vertigo as a score, and this is a very like classic orchestral kind of score too. So I guess we're going back to that. But yeah, well, I mean, it's the fucking like late fifties. That's all anybody was doing, really. It was early sixties for Vertigo, but fifty-eight. Uh, no, fifty-eight. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I think it's Psycho sixty. That's why. Yeah. So it's Vertigo first or after? Yeah, but Vertigo. Go listen to. Actually, just go watch the movie and pay attention to the score more than anything because like it works. They just work perfectly together. So. It's one of those ones where, yeah, like I'm always can't extricate them from each other. Like it, you need to see the movie for the context of the score kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they just work perfectly together. So nice. my next one is one I think I've talked about on the podcast before. It's the score to Amelie by uh, Jan Tiersen. Fair enough. So there's another 2001 movie. So Ocean's Eleven and uh, Amelie. And both of these are scores that I can. These are. T- two scores that I can put on and listen to without watching the movie for sure. Cause they, they hold up on their own separately. This whole soundtrack was part of the playlist that I made uh, when Alicia and I were in Paris a couple of years ago. It's just, it's beautiful, like perfect dreamlike, like uplifting score f- for a similarly toned movie. Um, it really, the, the music really captures Amelie's like childlike wonder and her emotional state as it kind of fluctuates throughout the movie perfectly. It hits a lot of those like melancholy notes really, really well in some of the pieces that are just like straight piano. Um, so some of this is like really awesome, like rainy day music. And some of it is really great. Just like I'm happy and I want to, you know, fucking celebrate kind of music. The main theme, uh, La Valse d'Amelie, is 
really beautiful. It's one of those songs that can always put me in a good mood. Like this is just one of those scores that I or like albums or whatever that I can put on if I just need to relax and like decompress kind of thing. And I'm just generally a sucker for this style of like French music, France, French, like the accordions and strings, like the kind of thing that you might hear, like just walking, you know, like on a street corner in Paris from a busker or whatever kind of thing. At least that's kind of how I imagine it in my head. Like I said, some of it is like super simple. There's, it's not like a fully, there, there are a couple pieces that have like, I don't even think it's a full orchestra. I think it's like just a string section um, and maybe like some drums, but I, I don't know if there's anything really in terms of horn. But yeah, there's some pieces that are just like piano that are just like that, like French accordion and like a harpsichord or something like that, like a plucked string instrument. And there's a couple pieces where they use what sounds like a typewriter key being used as percussion because Amelie types on a typewriter in the movie. And so it's a really creative score. It's a really beautiful score. And it's, again, one of those things that I can just like sit down and listen to totally independent of the movie. And again, I can like imagine those scenes in the movie and it puts me in that headspace perfectly. Nice. I've seen that movie exactly once. I, it's way too twee for Mark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't work for me at all. That was uh, that was a tough sit for me, actually. Way, way too hopeful. Yeah. It's, oh my god, it's so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. It won some awards and stuff as well. Yeah. It, uh, it won. Let's see. World Soundtrack Award for Best Original Score of the Year. The Cesar Award for Best Music for a Film, and it was nominated for BAFTA and stuff as well. So. I feel like every girl I went to school, like went to Brock with, like every art school girl, loved. Emily oh, yeah. in the soundtrack. It was just yeah. one of those like everybody had it on their iPod yeah. in 2006 or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I remember hearing it a lot and just being like, "Oh, is this from that that French movie that like <laughs> with the happy girl?" I can't. All right, I don't like happy girls. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that brings us around to our last ones for this episode. So, Mark, what's your last score? This may just be because I just rewatched these movies, but I put Back to the Future in my last spot like the back to the future scores by alan silvestri who yes has done a bunch of pap for the marvel movies that it's totally unmemorable and sad sadly i guess there's that uh, the avengers theme which is just like a revised lord of the rings theme at this point (laughs) there's that but like the score to back to the future like it is like the best adventure like it's like right up there with the raiders score in terms of just like you can't hear any of that music and not immediately get drawn back to back to the future like it just sounds like back to the future in your head when you hear any of that those beats or scores or like whatever whatever you call a score stuff i don't know <laughs> cues i guess i'm not sure it's just one of my favorites and i didn't really have like a ton written about it just that like it's fantastic and it completely accentuates everything about the movie it's kind of quirky it's got that weird like throwbacky kind of feeling to it it starts to incorporate some of the sounds from the 50s as you go back to the 50s like there's all kinds of cool stuff going on in that score and all three of them, actually, like if you go and listen to the the scores for the three movies, they have like leitmotifs that tie back to the original and oh, yeah. are replayed in different styles. Like there's electronic versions of them in the second one. And then they go back to the 50 sound at the end of that movie. And then there's the Western versions of everything in the yeah. third one. So like it's just a fun, like very bouncy adventure score. And another one just with like amazing horns too. Oh yeah, dun, like the dun, 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 dun. Yeah. exactly right. And like you can, and again, it's one of those ones that you like you walk out humming, right? Like you know that yeah. the main theme to Back to the Future is like stuck in your head after you get out of the movie, because like Lord knows it's not that Huey Lewis song, right? So 
Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's got a good soundtrack as well, or good score. Yeah. It's soundtrack as well, yeah. Why well, is it just the one song? I don't know if they actually use well, it. I mean, there, there's, I mean, there's the Mr. Sandman. There's a couple. There's the Power oh, Lounge. Right, yeah. It's the other Huey Lewis in the news track off that, yeah. uh, off that movie, too. So That's what I was thinking of. Was, oh, yeah, because Back in Time's from the first one, right? Yeah, and Back Power in Time and Power Love are both. Uh, yeah, both that's on. right. Yeah. Either way, yeah, the uh, the score is actually quite good too. That so is for sure. I like really like that one. So nice. I put that one in there because I just watched them. Nice. So you can go buy them on 4K. They're really nice. <laughs> My last one is a horror movie because I really wanted to include a horror movie, but in so many cases, as we just said with like Psycho, they're like one memorable theme and then a bunch of fucking like pab, bunch of fucking filler. But this I talked about not long ago is the score to Suspiria. Okay. Done by Goblin. Uh, the 1977 fucking Suspiria. Although the that was one of the good things about the 2018 version was Tom York's uh, score. Yeah. Actually, arguably the best thing about that remake yeah, was maybe. Tom York's score. So, <laughs> But that, that Goblin soundtrack for the original Suspiria was really solid front to back. And Goblin yeah. was, is like uh, an Italian artist that did a bunch of horror movie scores back then. Did like the original Dawn of the Dead is one of the other ones that um, they're very well known for. But yeah, just with like the that main theme with the angry like reverbed vocals overlaid on the Celesta and the bells, it's so simple but so effective at make like I mean I watched it high as fuck, but it's so it was so effective at like making me feel like unsettled and uneasy, just like the la 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 la. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I did. I watched a lot of those horror movies this year, like really baked, and uh, the Suspiria. Like I watched Suspiria and I watched its remake, and. Those got to me pretty good because of the score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I find like when I'm baked, it's the score that gets me a lot of the time. Like that's what'll set me off for like I hear tubular bells or whatever. But like it's, I was, what was I watching? It was like that. Oh, it's the uh, Rosemary's Baby with like some of the parts mm-hmm. of the score in there. It just tripped me right out when I was <laughs> tripping I on other that. things. So yeah. Uh, no, totally. I get yeah. that. I know I was trying to figure out a horror movie to to, to pull, throw in there, and I was like Halloween because it's got that cool John Carpenter kind of feel yeah. to it, but it's not even his best one of those. Like, yeah. I was like, how's it, like I'd have to go listen, like rewatch the thing, and like really pay attention to what he scored, how he scored that, because I don't remember there being a ton of score in that either, even yeah. though that's arguably his best horror movie. But so. the thing with the thing with Suspiria and the score is that so much of the movie doesn't have. It, it doesn't it's not a real dialogue heavy movie so no. for so much of it you're relying on the visuals and the music to tell the story and and yeah. it, and so the score does a great job of hitting that tone um and even that main theme like that's like about half of the fucking score is like some manipulation of that main theme but it it manipulates it to use like to different effects throughout the movie like it'll add like some suspense here but in this scene it's it's more dread in this scene it's more just like tension kind of thing i mean obviously all like different you know kind of degrees of fear or whatever but still like it's a, a, a grade you know a different scale and there's there's also some parts of it that are because the, the movie itself is like about a dance school. And there's some of the music that is like part of the story because it's like the music that they're dancing to and shit like that. And some of that is like really like primal and tribal and, and really hits that kind of fucking reptile brain. Like, you know, the, that it's like, oh, this is kind of foreign and weird and I should be scared of that kind of thing. And there's also some unusual stringed instruments and like and like some of that like spooky ghostly synthesizers and a lot of modulated vocals, which also is like, you know, kind of unnatural and unfamiliar and again kind of helps to put you on edge. 
and there is it's a totally fucking 70s score but in a in a way that i like like there are some scores that are just like straight up fucking like funk songs or whatever (laughs) yeah and it's like but they're like it's got some funk like funky technically impressive like bass and drum beats and shit too so yeah i'm here i'm here for that as well so yeah yeah nice that's my last one. So that is all of the scores that we had to talk about tonight. Um, we don't really have anything necessary to close out on, but uh, yeah. So I mean, this is definitely something I could I could redo. Maybe not, you know. Soon, well, that's but... what I mean. I I wrote like another like ten, and I was like, do we just do honorable mentions, or like do we just save these for yeah, another episode? I agree. Like, I guess. I got, yeah, I've got at least another like ten. I've got like you know, I can give some teasers like shit like Last Starfighter, or Rocky, or like Requiem for a Dream, and fair like, enough. Yeah. And I have like a couple Pixar movies. I have like Up and Wally both on here too because I have I love both of those uh, scores as well. So yeah, okay, fair enough. Because I had like uh, like I, I had mentioned Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Yeah. We mentioned Beetlejuice. I was thinking more like Danny Elfman kind of Beetlejuice, Batman. Like those two back to back movies yeah. are yeah. pretty Jurassic, exciting. Fucking Jurassic Park, Jurassic or, Park. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, like Halloween, like all the John Carpenter stuff. Just like Halloween, Escape from New York, the thing. Just that weird moody synthesizer shit. So, You'll hear us talk about those. Something stuff. weird like good the bad and the ugly or like the godfather oh, score yeah. that i've, like I've the, got in there was social the, network the, obviously the trend resner stuff yeah. we were talking about blade or runner like, and it's cool all that kind of stuff or so, yeah. the uh the assassination of jesse james those sorts of things too that was a really yeah yeah that so a little kind of off the wall sort of stuff but yeah, yeah. so like i said and this is definitely something we could revisit and yeah if, if that's something you would like to hear let us know but before that, we can move on to our final segment, which is uh, Geek Cred, where we just recommend something that uh, we think that some of you might enjoy. So, Mark, what's your Geek Cred for this week? Go de-stress. I don't really have anything. Follow me on Instagram, first of all, MT underscore Willette. Buy a print, blackgreengallery.com. Trying to get over that thousand follower thingy. Stress Challenging. Yeah. Fucking goddamn algorithm not working with me. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, I just go do something that does not involve you watching the fucking news. Because I can't even think. I was like, go play Doom, but like that's not for everybody. Although it works for <laughs> yeah, me this week. Quote unquote de stress. Yeah. <laughs> go massacre zombies, space zombies. Hey, man, it worked for me a little <laughs> bit, you know. So there's that. But like, I don't know. Put a fucking record on, smoke something, drink something. Like, it's been a weird week. Mm-hmm. fucking do something nice for yourself i guess i don't know i got nothing because like, I, didn't, I didn't do anything else this week like i've been watching go catch up to the mandalorian there you go yeah, i need to go watch the mandalorian that's what i'm going to recommend maybe watch star trek discovery if you feel like being a little weirdly angry but like go watch the mandalorian because it's just first you get timothy oliphant in that first episode and like who doesn't love all fantastic <laughs> as he much was, as possible really good He's excellent. Yeah, he was really good in it. And then like the second episode is just like fun, schlocky Star Wars adventure stuff. And I was like 100% on board. So, yeah, go do that. And don't think about elections or <laughs> hopefully Donald by Trump the time or this whatever. comes out, you won't have to think about that. So, oh, Thank God. Yeah, this is going to date this episode horribly. Maybe, maybe we'll eat our words, <laughs> but we'll see. we come back next week and be like, the apocalypse has begun! <laughs> the beast has risen from the sea! <laughs> Give like that fucking like, Baphomet uh, yeah. <laughs> segment from VHS 2. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> Trump's Trump's gonna fucking like perform that ritual in the Oval Office when he finds out that he's lost. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> when he tweeted, he tweeted like not too long ago that like they're gonna have, like there's all these stories about him needing to be dragged out. Like he's gonna have to get dragged out of the Oval Office. Here's my pitch: 
get Chris Evans to dress up as Captain America one more time <laughs> and drag that piece of shit out of there. I know there's probably law enforcement that want that opportunity themselves, but I think for the good of the nation, we got to get Chris Evans with the shield to drag that fucker out of the White House. My my election drinking That's my glass. Hot take. My election drinking glass has been like a Marvel, like old school Captain America uh, pint glass. And uh, I've been drinking out of it for like three to four days now, I think, pretty much. They're going to throw you out of your DC cult if you, they find out <laughs> that you've been drinking out of a Captain America glass, Tim. <laughs> and that is that is my geek cred as well, because I have been using alcohol to de-stress and to bring my stress level down uh, this week for sure. Self-medicating like crazy. Uh, yeah. Tuesday, oh, yeah. Tuesday night, I finished all the beer and wine in the house. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday were like hard cider and like hard liquor. So I'm going to shout out uh, Burdock Brewery in Toronto, who I ordered beer from last night on their website, and it showed up on my doorstep at noon today. <laughs> That's awesome. Free next day delivery on uh, like 12 items or more within the West End of Toronto. Um, it's good and tasty. I'm, I'm drinking some of it right now. I'm drinking their Vermont Blonde Ale right now. And it's nice. Um, it's They have some like interesting varietals that you don't see as often at like Canadian micro Varietals, eh? <laughs> Yeah. You no. tell you've been drinking. Yeah. Uh, no, varietals. Sorry. That's sweet. That's that's an actual English word. That's a word. It is. No, no it's not. I guarantee you. You varietals. Search. V- I'm doing it right now. Yeah. V a r i e t a l s. Varietals. Holy shit! It's actually a word. <laughs> I eat that right. fucking word, Mark. That doesn't even make like. No, because I've never, <laughs> I've literally never heard of this word before. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of the things that they call like uh, different ver- different uh, types of grapes in wine, that kind of thing. Oh, okay, okay, uh, wine but, snobs. Fair yeah, enough. So, but like they, uh, I had their saison tonight, which is nice. Like I said, I'm drinking their Blondale right now. Um, they have uh, some beers that are aged on like grape skins that have been used for wine. So like they're like a weird like wine beer hybrid. Uh, and the ones I've had so far are nice and sessionable, which is one of the things that I like in a beer is something that has some flavor and has some dimension, but I can sit down and drink like four or five in a couple hours or more the last few nights without, yeah, like, without like feeling like super bloated and heavy kind of thing. So yeah, drink beer, drink beer from Burdock Brewery in Toronto. Or, I mean, I've been smoking Grape Ape Shatter all week. Just yeah. get some, get some, yeah, that's the distillate. It'll fuck you up. <laughs> good times nice keep you nice and hazy which like <laughs> kind of needed this week so you know yeah for sure find your favorite bc dispensary and get them to ship you whatever you want <laughs> in the mail i guess that's legal now right i don't know i think so i don't know sounds awesome but i think that's us for this week so thank you very much for listening if you would like to tell us what you thought about this episode if you want to tell us what your favorite scores are if you think we're totally fucking wrong with our picks or if you agree with some of our picks then you can let us know on facebook at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast you can email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com you can tweet at us at drd underscore podcast and if you are not already subscribed to our podcast you can do so on google podcasts apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify and most places that podcasts can be found so say good night mark good night everybody and this is tim saying i guess i'm gonna be fucking back to watching election results now. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go kill some demons i think yeah that too i mean that's kind of what i'm doing really 
figuratively speaking. We haven't been drafted to guard the border yet. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) that's probably another week or two away. So it's okay. All right. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next time, guys.